0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis 9. We're finishing up Genesis 9 here, I think, today. But uh, we're going to look at one verse this morning. And uh, we've said this before, but I want you to see this morning firsthand how powerful God's Word is. Four simple little lines here in God's Word, but they speak truth. They speak power. They speak the essence of what life is really all about, the sanctity of life. So as you find your place to Genesis 9, 6, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Genesis 9, verse 6 says this. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Let me read that one more time. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Man, Let's pray. Father, may you speak truth through our lives this morning, Father, through your holy word, Father. I pray right now, Lord, that we all desire to have an encounter with the living God this morning, Father, with you. And that we all might leave this place just a little bit different than the way we came in. Father, we thank you once again so much for Jesus Christ, Father, who made all this relationship with you possible. Father, we pray these things in his precious and powerful name. Amen. You may be seated. In this verse, we see that God lays down the principle of government for the very first time here. But he also lays down the essence of protection of man. He says right here how precious man's life is. It's so precious that if you take a man's life, that somebody else is going to take yours. He also tells us the reason why, and we'll get into that here in just a minute. But many of you have probably asked and wondered, and it's floating around the society out there, uh, does the Bible really support capital punishment, the taking of somebody's life? Absolutely, the answer is yes. God does. The sixth commandment, Exodus 20:13, says, "Thou shalt not kill." But also in Exodus 21:12, it says that he who strikes a man so that he dies shall utterly be put to death. God's very serious about human life. It's precious to Him. God desires that you and I would understand that life is precious. I think most of us can understand too, looking at our society today, that life is just doesn't seem to be that precious anymore. Really? You no, know, how could that be? How could the life that God gives us and that God created, that God made us in His own image, not be that precious? But for whatever reason, I'm going to tell you here just a moment why. But life is precious to God. You know, some would argue, too, that, well, does capital punishment really deter crime? Well, it's debatable. You know, does a speed limit sign on the side of the road deter you from speeding? Not always. But I can tell you with absolute certainty, capital punishment works. If you kill somebody and you get put to death for it, you're not going to kill anybody else. Logical, right? You know, others, those that think, think of themselves as biblical theologians kind of question the thing, well, in the Old Testament says eye for an eye, and the New Testament says turn the other cheek. Well, what is it? Do I pay back eye for an eye, or do I turn the other cheek? Well, it's not a contradiction I want you to know this morning. God doesn't contradict himself. When we're talking about an eye for an eye, God's saying that's the government's responsibility. That's man and authority's responsibility in our government. Take an eye for an eye. He's saying right here in this verse that you don't kill the person that killed your friend. The government does that. Somebody else will do it. And so he's sanctioning government to be able to do these things. Government has the right to capital punishment. When he says turn the other cheek, that's our personal responsibility. Government has a responsibility to institute capital punishment... We have the responsibility to turn the other cheek. Let God handle it. Let the government handle these things. We don't need to take somebody's life because they took somebody that we love's life. Let the government do that. You know, I want you to see someone here. We've talked about this over the years, too, about where the founding fathers got the information for the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, all the statutes and things that they founded this government on. Most of them came out of God's holy word, either directly or indirectly. The thoughts that come out of the Bible. I want you to hear some of this morning and think about the scripture that we just read. The Declaration of Independence. The preamble. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. You know what that means? It means that even a fool should understand these things. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. Well, how could that be? I'm here to tell you it's what that verse just told us. Because they're made in the image of God. We're all made in God's image. So we all have an equal standing in front of God. We should all have an equal standing in front of each other. Why? Because God made me. I'm made in the image of God Almighty. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, the Scripture tells us. That all men are critical that they are endowed by their Creator. Where do those rights come from? God. Because God made us in His image. Among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then listen to this. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among man. There it is right there. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. God gave our founding fathers incredibly uh, incredibly ingenious and brilliant understanding of his holy word as they put this constitution together. They founded our constitution and our declaration of independence on God's holy word. Realizing that we are all equal because we're all made in God's image. We've missed the mark though. And I'm here to tell you because of some sorry, horrible decisions made by a number of people, but Supreme Court's leading the minister, we have downtrodden on the sanctity of human life. On March 5, 1857, the Supreme Court ruled in the Dred Scott case that African Americans are not legal persons according to the Constitution. They said that slaves could be sold, they could be used, they could even be killed by their owners that the owners so deemed to do that. That's been overturned, obviously. But how sad to miss the mark. They obviously weren't thinking about the Founders' intent in the Declaration of Independence. On January 22, 1973, the Supreme Court ruled in Roe v. Wade case. You know that one. That unborn human beings are not legal persons according to the Constitution. The unborn baby, they said, is the property of the mother. And she can kill that baby if she so sees not go along with God's thoughts. It's interesting, as you know, in 1962, we took prayer out of schools. In 1963, we took the Bible out of schools. We don't really need God's guidance of the nation. Well, we don't need God's guidance if we don't have any value and don't desire to value human life. God gave us the standards. God gave us an incredible opportunity here to understand life from his perspective. And yet we miss it. We blatantly turn our back on that. I believe many of the Supreme Court decisions have been a holy slap in the face of a holy God. We've missed it. Everyone is someone to God. You know, a lot of times we feel like that person can't contribute to society. That person's just too poor. That person's too ill. That person's got too many problems. They really don't deserve to take up air on this earth. Really? That's not God's perspective. Everyone is someone to God. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I formed you in my mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. That was Jeremiah talking to God. God talking to Jeremiah. In Psalms 139, David speaking. He's talking to God. He says, For you formed my inner parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. The Bible is very clear that God created us, that God set us apart before we were even formed in our mother's womb, that God had a plan and a purpose for our life, that we were made in God's image. God doesn't make mistakes. We have God's brand on us. I want you to imagine this for just a second. And this is, a, I think, an incredibly powerful illustration about this point. We have ambassadors representing our nation around the world they representatives of our country. they representatives of our government. They represent our wishes in foreign lands. Imagine for just a moment that a foreign government attacked our embassy and killed our ambassador. How sad. But I want you to realize this. It's more than just a simple murder. It's actually an attack against the United States of America. And it's perceived like that. When we murder one of God's creatures. When we murder somebody, it's an attack against God personally because that person is made in the image of God. You know, these are the things that the Bible says about it, but evolution has a whole different perspective about life. It's sad, too. And what do we teach in schools? Evolution. It's sad. But evolution would advocate that we're, our ancestors are monkeys. They advocate that no one is created by somebody special. They say that some lives just don't deserve to live. They say that there needs to be a quality of life for that person to continue to exist. They've missed all these things. You know that was the foundation of Adolf Hitler and his extermination of so many people—over six million Jews. He exterminated the insane. He exterminated the poor. He did it because they just didn't deserve to live. He based his theology on the idea of evolution. I read this the other day. Back in 2005, the London Zoo posted a sign. It said, warning humans in natural environment. What is that? Well, they decided to have an exhibit. The goal of that exhibit was to demonstrate what humans look like in a native captivity in the jungle. So they set up kind of a cage, glassed in, and they they put an ad in the paper to hire some people that go in there and sit they got about five human beings come sit there around the clock. They slept there. They ate there. They slept in the natural habitat, but they ate like animals. They just put the food on the ground. They ate it. They just slept on straw on the, on the ground there. And people walk by and look at them. And the, the uh, exhibit coordinator made these comments. She says, you know, I don't know why we upplay so much the uniqueness of man. There's nothing really special about man that separates man from the rest of the animals in the world. He said, when you see humans in an animal's habitat, you realize that there's nothing really special about man. That's where our world's going. That's just how far off base we've come. I want you to understand this morning that what evolution teaches, it teaches that people are like animals. What the Bible teaches is that people are like God. There is something special about man. You know, the Old Testament lays out the fact that we do not murder. Jesus Christ came along and agreed with that. But he also says we don't just kill with our actions. Many times we kill people with our feelings in our heart. He said this in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, don't do love the word but... But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. He's saying the same thing right here. If I'm carrying anger in my heart, it's the same as murdering somebody. In fact, it's said over there in 1 John 3.15. It says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. 1 John 4.20 says this. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, fornicators, thieves, false witnesses, and blasphemers. You know, I don't think any of us are going to commit murder in a physical way. But Satan is always trying to get you and I to commit murder in a heart way. He wants to change our heart. He wants to blacken our heart. He wants to harden our heart. You know, I think if we're all honest with each other here this morning, we all have that little struggle once in a while. You know, I have kind of a resentment against this person or that person. or You know, this person really hurt me, so I don't know if I can ever get over it. So we carry these things in our heart, and our heart eventually gets hardened. Because of a hard heart, you know, it changes who we are. It doesn't make us more like Jesus Christ. It makes us less like Jesus Christ, and we have a hardened heart. What burdens are we carrying this morning? What am I holding on to right now in my life that's causing me not to let Christ flow through me by the power of the Holy Spirit? What's causing the power of God not to work through me because I'm holding on to something that I don't need to be holding on to? Where is that bitterness? Where is that seed of bitterness in my life right now that's causing me to not receive the fullness of God's grace. God gives you and I an opportunity to to live this life with Him, to be full and abundant, to have a life that's flowing with joy, that's flowing with the peace, that's flowing with our salvation, and have an opportunity to change other people's lives just by the way we carry ourselves and by the testimony that we have in life. God's called you and I out to make a difference in this world. We're not going to make that difference as long as we're holding on to some hatred or bitterness or anger. When we hold on to that, Jesus Christ says very specifically, it's just like murder. You know, there's sneaky ways that Satan gets inside of us and likes to break down our hearts. Let me mention three this morning. By entertaining ourselves with those who break God's law. How many shows do we watch every week on TV or how many shows are on TV that portray murders? Unfortunately, sometimes glorify them. How many shows on TV demonstrate violence? How much TV that we watch on the newscast is showing people hating one another? We're just inundated with these things. People that have hardened hearts, manifesting it on the streets. Sometimes violent acts, sometimes not. Just hatred by words. Satan also slides into our life in an evil way by, by allowing us to define life differently than he does. One of the problems in the world today is that we just value life too little. We don't realize life itself. We don't realize that God created each and every person. Even my worst enemy, God created that person. If I, if my heart is really right dealing with that person, you know what should happen? I should love that person. I might not be able to show it outwardly in a real good way, but I can pray for him. I need to ask God, don't let me have a bitter heart against this person. A fellow by the name of Alex Sanders was a chief judge of the South Carolina Court of Appeals. Had a little three-year-old daughter, Zoe. One day he got a call in his office from his wife and said, You gotta come home. what's wrong? What's wrong? He says, Well, Zoe's turtle died. And she's distraught. I cannot comfort her. I've been trying now for a couple of hours to comfort her. I can't just can't do it. And he said, Okay, I'll be home. So about half an hour later, he arrives home and she was totally distraught. There's a the turtle sitting on the floor of her room there not moving and so the judge sits down with her. he's a lawyer figuring he can talk my daughter into these things and she says well, I'm so sorry about this and, but Zoe we can get you another turtle if you like and Zoe didn't want that it's not the same thing this is my turtle I want this one I'm so sad so the judge tries a couple other thoughts there and finally has one final idea he thinks might work he says well Zoe why don't we have a funeral for your turtle so Zoe said dad what is a funeral what is a funeral? He says, well, it's kind of like a celebration and a party. She goes, like, with cake and ice cream, and he says, yeah, we can have cake and ice cream if you want. We can have a little funeral, cake and ice cream. And she starts kind of warming up a little bit to the idea, and he says, you want to do the party with cake and ice cream? Yeah, Daddy. And uh, can I invite some friends? He says, absolutely. We'll invite some friends over here, and we'll have a nice little funeral for your turtle. And so she's kind of consoling herself with her dad. And all of a sudden, they're both kind of watching the floor, and, turtle and the turtle starts moving. And it's moving a little bit more, and all of a sudden, it's mobile. It's kind of walking across the floor. And the judge, hey, your turtle came back to life. Zoe's a little conflicted right now in her, in her spirit. She, on one side, she's thinking cake and ice cream. On the other side, she's thinking turtle. So after a few moments of reflection, Zoe looks at her dad and says, uh, let's kill it. You know, part of what happens with our attitudes about life is that we value life only when it serves our purposes. When it doesn't go our way, we no longer value that life. And you can think right now, I'm not going to go down the whole road here, but you can think right now about the whole abortion issue in America today. That's a baby in the womb. God created that baby, knew that baby before it was formed in that mother's womb. Made in his image. And yet because of convenience, unfortunately, too many times, there's abortion. Euthanasia is another thing that seems to be ramping itself up here in America. Is that person, there's no hope for him, so let's just put him out of their misery. You know what? A lot of times people wonder about suicide, too. I've been asked before, if somebody commits suicide, are they still going to go to heaven? Absolutely, if they're saved. It's a sin like other sins that we commit but you know what that person that kills himself is committing murder because that person as sad as they may be, as depressed or distraught or maybe destroyed by life's events in their life they just want to end it all, they're not worth living they're still made in God's image everyone is someone in God's eyes that that just permeates my thoughts and mind about this whole scripture here God so desired for you and I to understand the value of life that He said, If you take somebody else's life, somebody's gonna take yours. Eye for an eye. You deserve to be put to death if you murder somebody else. Why? He told us right now in the picture. Four lines that have Living power. It's incredible how God put this together way back in the beginning of time that we'd understand capital punishment, that we'd understand why he believes in capital punishment, why the Bible substantiates that, why we need to have capital punishment in this world. Because life needs to be valued. Life is precious. Life is sacred. God loves us. Think about what God did. God loved us so much. He sent his only begotten son to die upon that cross that we might have life because of it. God wants us to understand that every single life is important. Many people today walking around out there, many Christians as well, have an identity problem. Who am I? Who am I? Well, I can tell you who you are. You're made in the image of God and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That God has a purpose and a plan for your life. But God also wants you to live in such a way as you share that truth with people. How is it that America has the highest suicide rates in the world? The highest teenage suicide rates too. How sad. All the prosperity we have in America and yet people are still killing themselves. Unfortunately, we're prosperous in too many of the wrong things, not the right things. You know, Jesus came along and wanted to realize that it's more than just physically killing somebody. Jesus told his apostles that by this, men will know that they are my disciples, that you love one another. That was a directive for the church too, that you love one another. The two greatest things that we really need to be about in this world, both come from the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. The second one, it says just like that, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the whole idea of love has been misconstrued today too. But God tells us what love looks like. It's sacrificial. It's giving. It's complete. It's unconditional. Just like God loves us. He gives us the example. Jesus Christ walked this earth for 33 years to show us what it looked like God's love. We need to love the way God loves. You know, it's tough, but watching our actions is good. But you know, watching out for our heart is even more essential. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You know, it's interesting here, and you've heard the debate on TV too, gun control and all these things too. Guns can't shoot somebody by themselves. The problem in America today is not guns, it's the heart. That our heart's not where it belongs. We need to have a heart that belongs to Jesus Christ. A heart that's surrendered to Jesus Christ. A heart that's unconditionally given over to Him. You know, if we truly guard our heart, our actions are going to follow. I can tell you in my own personal life that I can tell you very immediately when my heart's not where it belongs. You may have a different benchmark or a different button that goes off when you no, your heart's not right, but you know what mine is? When I don't have the right attitude about some person, or maybe a couple of people, if I realize I'm kind of developing a little hard feeling towards that person, or upset because they did something that bothered me or something like that, and feel like that's not right, or I start feeling ill about that, you know what I realize? My heart's not right. When I'm having bad feelings about other people, you know what? The first thing you should check is your heart. I want to check my heart right now. Make sure it's right with God. If we got our heart, our actions are going to follow. Everyone is someone. I want to share with this little illustration here. True story. Telemachus was a Christian monk in the 4th century A.D. He decided he was going to go to Rome and visit some friends, but also spend some time in the church of Rome. On his way there, he heard that they were having a show in the Colosseum, that there were gladiators fighting to the death. As he's walking closer and closer to Rome, he couldn't believe it. Four centuries after Jesus Christ walked on this earth and how Christianity has begun to permeate throughout the whole world, how could they still be having contests for people to watch where man kills a man for sport? He couldn't believe it, so he went. He went along with 80,000 other people in the Roman Colosseum to watch these two gladiators fighting to the death. As soon as he got there, he took a seat, and the two gladiators walked in, and he yelled out from the stands Stop! Stop in the name of Jesus Christ! Stop! A few people looked around, but everybody's gone so crazy they didn't hear him. He kept yelling, though. Even when the gladiators walked up to give their token appreciation to the the emperor there. Salute the emperor. It kind of calmed down. He began yelling out, stop, stop in the name of Jesus Christ, stop. He jumped over the fence there, got into the Colosseum ground there, ran out to the gladiators and began yelling at them, stop, stop in the name of Jesus Christ, over and over. Well, one of the gladiators wasn't going to hear, but he went over and hit this man alongside his head, the little fellow guy, little fellow. He said, knocked him to the ground with his back of his sword. From the ground... He was out of his breath, but he kept yelling, stop, stop in the name of Jesus Christ. He got back up, walked over to him to start pleading to him to stop, stop in the name of Jesus Christ. This little Christian monk, a quarter the size of these two big gladiators. And all of a sudden, the whole crowd begins yelling, kill him, kill him, kill him. So one gladiator went over there with his sword and thrust it through this young monk's heart. He fell to the ground with his last breath. Stop. Stop in the name of Jesus Christ. Stop. When the crowd saw this man's commitment, there was a hush that came over that Colosseum. 80,000 people, absolutely silent. One by one, people got up and began leaving the Colosseum. Before long, all 80,000 people had walked out of that Colosseum. Three days later, the Roman Emperor officially ended all gladiator games. You believe one person can make a difference? Absolutely. One person with God is a majority. Andrew Jackson said that. It's true though. You know the question is, will be will you and I be a telemachus as well? That say enough is enough.